ready to keep you company wherever you are. Carte Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. Welcome to another episode of The Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Carte Blanche. Back behind the mic is Maverick citizen journalist Michelle Bunder, and there's a lot to unpack. Is there a doctor in the house? Certainly not when it comes to bogus Dr. Matthew Lani. Homeless and hopeless, survivors of the Marshalltown fire are left to fend for themselves. You can't live in such conditions. There's no privacy. Over 100 men sharing one room and over 50 women and children in the other room. Then, as load shedding makes its unwelcome return, ESCOM delivers even more bad news. And we pay tribute to two inspiring individuals. Let's get into it. So, Michelle, welcome back to the show. It's been a good minute since we last had you with us. How have you been? I've been well, thank you. So, let's get into our very first story, and it's the viral story of the week. It's the bogus doctor that's taken social media by storm, Matthew Lani. The 27-year-old gained quite the following on TikTok and has left many of us scratching our heads and asking, like, what is actually going on? (laughs) Yes, of course, it did gain a lot of traction. I think as of the beginning of October, when rumors came up that he was not actually a qualified medical doctor and there's been like investigations on who he is. And as of late, he was arrested while entering Helen Joseph Hospital. It seems he was there to do what he usually does which is walk around the hospital in doctor's regalia, claiming to be one. It seems that they caught him by the security officers within the institution. They had seen him the previous night taking content, so they had made note that he should be apprehended. And because he was trespassing, he's not a medical doctor. He was within bounds where he shouldn't be at. He has since been released and the charges dropped because there isn't sufficient evidence. The NPA said that should any evidence come forward as to if his doings have affected anyone in any negative way, then they should be a case. For now, he's a free man. If I'm remembering correctly, the NPA also essentially said that lying isn't a crime. So yeah, we wait. I think a lot of people were a bit confused, you know, and if this is just, again, part of the the Lani repertoire, so to speak. When he left court last week, he was on crutches. Do we have any idea what that was about? I certainly wasn't sure because I saw him firsthand. He was on crutches and he was wearing sneakers with no laces. Mm. For me, it felt like he was in his theatrics. He was in his act and he needed to look the part. And there was media, so if cameras are on for him, it's entertainment. So it was just a continuation of this character or pseudo name, Dr. Lani, because now he claims he's actually not a doctor. That's just a stage name and entertainment space. He was busy selling um, his slimming or mukaba pills that he calls that he has manufactured through his own pharmaceutical company, Immunoblue. It's left 
a bitter taste in everyone's mouth and a lot of questions. A lot of people are wondering because, I mean, he's sticking with this, right? And I think a lot of people are trying to understand what the reasoning is. Is it money? I mean, he's using this fake medical background to sell those supplements that you just spoke of. Or does he want clout and it's just purely for the clicks? Or is there perhaps a psychological element to this and we should feel sorry for the guy? I also thought maybe there's a psychological element to it because you can't fake so much. And he's been trying so much saying he'll prove everyone wrong that he's actually a doctor and actually averts graduates. Even on the day of appearance in court, journalists asked him, are you actually a graduate of Verts? He said he wouldn't comment on it. You also wrote a great article on how this whole fake doctor thing isn't just limited to Lani. And what were some of your findings regarding other bogus medical practitioners? Are there a lot of them? So doing my research, I've realized that there's actually a lot of these bogus doctors or bogus practitioners. Let's say, for instance, I want medical attention urgently. When I think about going to Prisani Baragwanath Hospital, I think about the long queues. And then I think to myself, maybe I have a hundred rand. I'll just go on that corner and get like Dr. Who, Dr. Mm. Pili or Dr. Whatsoever. And they'll attend to me urgently. And that is where I think the bogus doctor, they fit in where people are most vulnerable. And some of these people offer that, but they're not really qualified to do so. And what is the Department of Health doing to address this? The Gauteng Department of Health, they said they were vetting everyone within their facilities if they're actually who they've said they are and if they have the qualifications they say they have. That is their plan currently. I'm not sure how long that will take, but as you may have seen in reports that there's also apprehension of these bogus doctors by the HPCSA. As of last year, over 100 that they have apprehended People also need to be taught to check the credentials of the doctor. Well, I strongly suggest or encourage our listeners to head on over to Daily Maverick's website as your article has a list of some of the the ways on how to protect yourself against these fake health practitioners. So definitely go and check that out. This past week, a formal inquiry into the deadly Marshalltown fire in Johannesburg was set to begin. However, before the commission could ask a single question, the sitting was abruptly postponed. The reason, ironically, was that the venue failed to meet safety bylaws and was certified unsafe by fire marshals. Meanwhile, the survivors of the deadly blaze are still relying on NGOs as provincial government has seemingly failed them once again. Another story that you've been following very closely is the Marshalltown fire that left 77 people dead. It's been almost two months since this horrific blaze and it seems very little has happened. What have you been seeing happening on the ground in terms of assisting those who were left destitute? What's been done to support the survivors, if anything? I've been following the story since it happened on the 31st of August. What I've seen on the ground and reports Literally, civic organizations or activists are the ones providing a lifeline for these people. The city only provided these temporary shelters, which were meant to be there for like a month, and they just tapped out. When you go to the Gauteng provincial government to say, okay, you made certain promises as well to ensure that people are helped in a way that 
they get back to their lives or they have more permanent housing. But to this day, I can tell you that the people live in the shelter, well, some of them have left and opted to find more permanent accommodation elsewhere in the city, God knows where. But on the level that things are going, these people don't have money. Some of them are not employed. What I can see is they're likely to go back to these hijacked buildings in the city that are not suitable for human inhabitation because there's no plan for the city. I've been reaching out to the city housing department asking what is the action plan to to house these people because the temporary shelters have expired. Some of them have been living in the Hofland Recreational Facility. That is not meant to be a permanent housing option. It's like two rooms. There's one room where there's females and all the children There's one room where there's all males. I can't find words to express it, but you can't live in such conditions. There's no privacy. Over 100 men sharing one room and over 50 women and children in the other room. So it's quite small. Mm. And there are two toilets and two showers. So I feel that the city is not really doing enough. They just tapped out of the situation. If they were doing something, surely they would want the media to know they would not be mm-hmm. unresponsive to any of the questions we've sent to them about plans going forward. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and speaking about plans, I mean, I saw on Scroller Africa that the city of Joburg has built several one-bedroom tin shacks on kind of an impound site that used to be hijacked, but the city kind of claimed it back. I was looking at these shacks and I know Scroller had a video as well, kind of showing the inside of these little shacks. And I was just thinking this just seems like such an inappropriate solution. It feels like just more indignity is being thrown at these people. They're quite small, even if you're tried, let's say for a family mm-hmm. of five or a family of three even quite small they're closely packed to each other and for me in the way they are built still does not have any sense of dignity or gives dignity to the people who are vulnerable the most it's like you're taking them from one shelter where they've been living in squalor and putting them in another just that now it's separate shelters on the ground Mm. and it has no toilets and They haven't really cleaned up the site yet. So it's just, gosh, I I can't imagine placing these vulnerable people in a space like that and thinking, oh, that's fine. This is justified. It really goes against the, the very basic human rights that these people deserve. I understand you've also tried to find out more about the actual victims of the fire. You had a lovely article exploring the life of one of the teenage girls that unfortunately died. And it was beautifully written. And and I was wondering if you will be continuing that series, so to speak. Yes, people forget that it was people's lives that were lost, that were part of the community. So to bring the story closer to home, I thought it would be ideal to, you know, have the faces. We have the names, but put a clear picture of who these people were. They deserve that Mm. dignity. I think I started with a 16-year-old. Her name was Melita Mm. Mkhebi. She had lived in the building for as long as she was born. I tried to get a bit of context on who her parents were and how she'll be remembered. And I've struggled a lot trying to locate who these people were. And we're known by 
nicknames. For instance, someone says mm. to you, doctor, no one knows government name. Some of them left their families maybe in the Eastern Cape or they left their families in Mozambique. The friends that know him, they know him as doctor only. They don't have any image of that person because they lost their phones they lost their identity documents and everything else to the fire but i'm still mm. trying to locate more and more people these are the people that were lost as soon as the rugby world cup came to an end escom dampened our national enthusiasm ever so slightly when it announced the return of load shedding and while we weren't entirely surprised by this, we were taken aback by the Power Utilities recent financial report, which painted a picture of an SOE in serious financial trouble. So we had barely come down from our Rugby World Cup high when ESCOM suddenly decided, oh, sorry, we're going to barge in, give you the awful news that load shedding is back. And while many of us would have wanted the lights to stay on a little bit longer, I guess we all kind of expected the blackouts to return. But I want us to also focus on ESCOM, which is obviously at the very center of all of this. And it announced this week that it was finding itself in a very deep financial hole, with it announcing record losses of 23.9 billion rands in the last financial year. And this is about double the net losses that they suffered the year before. So something went very, very wrong. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Do you expect ESCOM to ever turn itself around? With the rate that it's going, I, I don't think there's a turnaround strategy until there's there needs to be a change somewhere there in their offices because I feel that in Julius Malema's words, I feel like ESCOM issues are man-made because we didn't have lot shedding during the World Cup, but all of a sudden the next day we just back at it. How? If they can pause the lot shedding for the World Cup, surely they can pause it for any other thing. So it's man-made. It's something within that entity that is happening. So at this rate, I don't know if we're going to get any better. Yeah. Look, on the upside, Public Enterprises Minister Praveen Gordhan has at least made some moves in terms of appointing a new ESCOM CEO. Granted, he said that we'll only see the new CEO take his or her place in December. But I mean, hopefully that will bring some more stability to this very shaky SOE. I'm definitely not ready for 2024 to be as bad as this year was. Well, it might not be that bad because it's elections and they'll try to provide electricity for the people for us to vote for whoever is providing the electricity in that year. So they'll try to make sure that we have at least electricity during that time. And then after voting, maybe we go back to normal, load shedding yep. um, schedules. That's exactly what I expect is going to happen. And I, I definitely don't think we are the only ones thinking that way. But let's see what happens in the next month or so in terms of the new ESCOM CEO, because we can't carry on the way we have. He was at the forefront of helping guide national government in its approach to the COVID-19 pandemic, and he led the groundbreaking COVID-19 vaccine trials in South Africa. Now, Professor Shabir Mahdi has been recognized for his work as a vaccinologist in the United Kingdom. 
I always try to celebrate local talent on the show. And I mean, this week is no different. Recently, Professor Shabir Mahdi, which a lot of people might recognize his name. He was the man who led the Oxford AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine trials in South Africa. But he was also kind of on the front lines in terms of helping the South African government create guidelines in terms of how to respond to the pandemic. And he was recently recognized in a huge way. He was appointed an honorary commander of the most excellent order of the British Empire. It's a mouthful, but basically it's a CBE by King Charles III for his scientific work in helping guide South Africa in its response during the pandemic. I mean, that's a massive accomplishment because usually these go to various British citizens. What an accomplishment. I do feel that it's well-deserved. COVID times were just hectic for everyone. No one knew what to do, but if he was able to add his knowledge and make it a better situation and developing some of these guidelines for how we can maneuver with COVID, he surely deserves it. Putting himself on the line and trying to assist a nation, a continent, surely deserves you know, some appreciation of his good work. Beloved content creator, teacher and activist Nompilo Dlamini passed away last week following a lengthy battle with cystic fibrosis. For years, she documented her painful journey in a bid to educate her followers about the disorder, while also inspiring others to continue fighting. We remember the joy she brought to our timelines and pay tribute to her fighting spirit. Before we wrap things up, I do want us to pay tribute to another great individual, Nompilo Dlamini, who sadly passed away following a very long battle with cystic fibrosis. I remember coming across her inspiring social post several years ago, and I've been following her journey ever since, and she's always been so hopeful and happy and kind of, I always just... When, when I hear her name, I immediately see her smile because she was just so beautiful. And I think that's how a lot of people will remember her. Certainly, everyone will remember her positive energy towards life and enjoying life despite having an illness that could claim one's life within an instant. But she tried to keep the positive energies and spread it through her social media platforms. That is how most of us know her. It was really sad to hear about her passing. I also want to emphasize that in the few years that we were fortunate enough to share in her journey, she also did so much in terms of shining a light on cystic fibrosis and the challenges those living with this disorder face every single day. So she's done amazing work in terms of exposure and educating the masses in, in terms of this disorder and really just opening up people's eyes to that everyone has some kind of issue that they're dealing with and we should all just be kinder. She would be encouraging everyone if she were with us now to say continue living in hope and gratitude and always make the most of every day. Certainly. So I hope we all make the most of every day and be grateful you just woke up breathing today. Well, on that inspiring note, Michelle, it's been lovely chatting to you. Thank you so much for taking the time and I hope to have you back on the show again very soon. I'll be back soon. Thank you for having me. And that's a wrap. 
In case you missed any of our previous chats with Daily Maverick, you can find them all on Carte Blanche, the podcast, available on Spotify and all major podcasting platforms. Music